Peace be upon you. So let's say I had a time machine and I went back in time and I talked to the people and I explained to them what life was like in 2019. And I told them that life has gotten so easy that we have to pay money to go to a facility in order to lift heavy objects only to put them back. That they have machines by which we run on that don't take us anywhere, but this is what we need to do in order to stay physically fit. They would probably not be able to comprehend what kind of a society this would be. The reason is, is because these people statistically most likely were farmers. And they lived tough, hard lives. Each morning at dawn, they would get up and they would work the land until sunset and repeat that whole process day in, day out. The thought of them having to go out of their way to get exercise would be unfathomable because this is what their life consisted of every single day. The simple act of washing clothes was a labor-intense process. Right now, you take your clothes, you put them in the wash, you click a few buttons, and at worst, you have to fold the clothes, right? It's not physically demanding. Most of our life is not physically demanding. We sit in front of computers, we sit on a couch and watch TV, we sit in a car. We realize that if we don't have these physical constraints, this stress on our body, that our bodies deteriorate. We lose our vitality, our health, and because of that, we created artificial mechanisms by which we can stress our bodies in order to stay physically fit. And this wasn't necessary for the generations of the past. The aspect is there's another element that came into play that we've also lost. But rather than creating artificial scenarios to build resilience, we neglected this entirely. And that has to do with mental resilience. Back then, not only were their lives physically hard, they were emotionally and psychologically difficult. The aspect is that, look, most people, they lost children. You know, they would lose people to simple ailments, be it flu, for uh, consideration. In 1918, the influenza killed 50 million people when the population of the earth was 1 billion. That's 5% of the population was wiped out because of a flu virus. This was the kind of life they lived in. But that built mental toughness that we lack today. But for some reason, we realize that if our bodies are physically um, missing that element of the physical constraint that exercise and hard work provides, the element that's neglected is what it takes to be mentally resilient, to be able to persevere through hardship. The problem we have today in society isn't the fact that we have it too, e too hard, is the fact that we have it too easy. Just like in the past, you know, predominantly society, they suffered from starvation and fathom, which was a typical part of life. You know, if the weather wasn't good, if you had a dust bowl or something of that nature, your entire possibility of continuing living is diminished. Today, it's the opposite. We don't lack calories. We have an abundance of calories and our problems come because we have too many calories. And this changes not only our physiology, but also our psychology. And what's the downside of lack of mental resilience? Because we see that if you have lack of physical uh, uh, hardships, your body deteriorates, your health deteriorates, you gain weight, you have heart disease, you get diabetes, these elements happen. But what is the downside of also losing this mental resilience? And this one is a little harder to see, but it's just as uh, critical. The element is when you live too comfortable of a life and you lose mental resilience, 
all of a sudden the smallest issues, the smallest problems seem astronomical. There's a funny story about Cyrus the Great. So Cyrus the Great around 500 BC had the Persian Empire. And at the time, the capital was in Pasargad, which was a very desolate, desert, non-accommodating space. And there was pressure to move the capital to Susa. And Susa was a vital uh, land. Uh, it had hills. The climate was much better. But his concern was if people moved there, his army would turn soft. And there's a quote from Voltaire. It says, history is filled with the sound of silken slippers going downstairs and the wooden shoes coming up. And the element is that if a nation, an empire, a community gets too soft, where they can't handle hardship, when they can't persevere through uh, issues and problems, they're going to collapse. And you have those resilient, tough nations who persevere with wooden shoes. They're the ones who are moving up while simultaneously the ones who taken life too easy, have taken things for granted, they're on their way down. Now, I have a similar quote I was thinking. It's that history is filled with societies who complain more despite having more, being overtaken by societies who complain less despite having less. Why is it that it's proportional to the amount that a society has that they complain more? You would think the opposite is true, but it's counterintuitive, but complaining is inversely proportional to how much we have. The uh, rapper, famous philosopher, Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, <laughs> he had a quote, he said, mo money, mo problems. And it's sad, but this is the state of affairs, that people who have more, they complain more. And this is actually a sign of their decline. God knows each of us how much we can bear and how much we can handle. But the element is, once we become unappreciative, then we suffer the retribution. In 14 verse 7, it reads, Your Lord has decreed, the more you thank me, the more I give you. But if you turn unappreciative, then my retribution is severe. Now, each individual has a different limit to how much they can handle before they become unappreciative and start complaining. And that limit is dependent on our mental resilience. The people who have more, the aspect, the temptation to complain about something you have. Say you get a brand new car and something happens, gets a little ding. You complain about that and forget the fact that you have this blessing. You know, you go to a fancy, impressive restaurant and you get this delicious meal. And rather than being appreciative that you can afford such a meal, you complain because the waiter, you know, didn't bring the water fast enough or the water's too cold or too hot or this or that. Some nature. And that is an element of being unappreciative. In 42.27, it says, If God increased the provision for his servants, they would transgress on earth. This is why he sends it precisely measured to whomever he wills. He is fully cognizant and seer of his servants. God is going to give us each however much we can handle. And if we're in God's graces, it's going to be a blessing from God that he's not going to give us more than we can handle. But how much we handle is up to us. At what point is it that God gives us that extra amount? that makes us unappreciative and complain about so much that we have. The society that has a lot ends up complaining about more than the society that has less. And this is absolutely catastrophic and is the sign of the downfall of a society. In 16.1.12 we read, God cites the example of a community that used to be secure and prosperous with provisions coming to it from everywhere. But then it turned unappreciative of God's blessings. Consequently, God caused them to taste the hardships of starvation and insecurity, such as the record for what they did. 
Think about all these things you have in life that you didn't have to work for, that were just handed to you just for merely existing. You know, being able to go to a grocery store, being able to drive a car, being able to have civil liberties, being able to not worry that someone's going to break down your door and throw you in jail. These basic amenities that we take for granted is something that we should be absolutely ecstatic for. But what ends up happening inevitably is the more we have, the more we complain. The more items we look to nag about, you know, the expression that these are first world problems. If you go and visit developing countries and you see how joyful these individuals are for how little they have, it makes you realize just how unappreciative you are for your situation. That there's people out there praying to be able to have the life you have. And this is something God has given to you to see whether we are appreciative or unappreciative. And the second we complain about these things, you know, we show signs of pessimism. This is showing that we're being unappreciative. You know, today, despite having so much, society seems to have ever so much more to complain about. And why is that? It's because complaining, it's tempting. It feels good. But like many things in life that seem enjoyable, say smoking, eating a whole chocolate cake for breakfast, it, complaining is not good for us. It's both physiologically, it's uh, mentally, it's emotionally draining. And a simple expression of this is the expression that neurons that fire together, wire together. That when we find something to complain about, we're making an association with that item and the complaint. You know, you go to a restaurant and you complain about the food. No longer do you taste the food. You only focus about that complaint. You know, you have a car and there's some, you know, quirk about it. And rather than appreciating the fact that you have this uh, ability to transport yourself, you know, much faster than you can on foot, you know, we find reasons to complain. And when we do that, rather than seeing joy and appreciation when we go out for that meal or we drive that car or we engage with that coworker, what we end up doing is we find reasons to complain, to be bitter, to be pessimistic. You know, when you complain, your body releases stress hormone called uh, cortisol. You know, cortisol shifts you into flight or flight mode and it directing oxygen, blood, energy away from everything else in your system, including your immune system and focusing at that threat at hand. You know, but when that threat is completely irrelevant, it's something that you're giving an unproportional amount of your brain capacity towards, there is going to be a detriment to that. And it, it's actually tied with high cholesterol, diabetes, heart disease, and obesity just by mentally being stressed out over the most trivial of things. You know, again, rather than being appreciative for the things we have, we focus and hyper-focus on these elements that aren't working up to our expectations. So it's not far-fetched to say that being pessimistic, complaining, it's actually bad for our mental health. It leads to a form of uh, brain damage. But in addition, the aspect is it affects the people around us because complaining is contagious. Once you point out, let's say you're watching a movie and you point out all the things that's wrong with the movie, the people who overlook those, you know, inconsistencies or issues, all of a sudden you ruin that experience for them. I remember when I first had my uh, daughter and I was struggling with the routine of getting up in the middle of the night and the feeding and this and that. And I started complaining to my wife and she stopped me. She said, why are you ruining this for me? Because while I was complaining about this, she was enjoying it. She knew this is what she signed up for. And being able to wake up in the middle of the night and tend to this little human being was a joy for her. And my polluting it with looking at the downside and complaining about the lack of sleep and the tiredness 
was ruining her joy. So not only was I affecting my own well-being, I was affecting those around me. And the aspect is that when we set these disproportionate expectations on reality, all we're doing is we're affecting our own happiness. Part of being a submitter is we submit to God. We trust in God wholeheartedly. But what ends up happening is we put our expectations over what God has decreed for us. And when reality doesn't meet our expectations, then our happiness suffers. You think of this, when you watch a movie and the bar is set really low, you didn't think it's going to be that good, and then all of a sudden it was better than you expected, you've amplified how much you like that movie. But if you go into a movie with the expectation that it's going to be the best thing in the world and it doesn't meet your expectation, then all of a sudden you think less of the movie than you did before. By merely setting our expectations at the wrong place, we can affect our overall outcome. The element is we have to trust in God wholeheartedly. God is controlling every single atom for our best intentions. If we trust in God, we're never going to be disappointed with anything God has in store for us. Because we realize that everything God does, if we worship Him alone, is for our own good. God does not commit an ounce of injustice. Everything he does is perfectly designed in order to get us to be appreciative, to get back on the path, to worship him alone. In Surah 16, verse 53, it reads, Any blessing you enjoy is from God, yet whenever you incur any adversity, you immediately complain to him. Yet as soon as he relieves your affliction, some of you revert to idol worship. In Surah 11, verse 10, it reads, Whenever we bless him after adversity had afflicted him, he says, all adversity has gone away from me. He becomes excited, proud. And the reason is, is because irrespective, if something happens that to us appears for our good or for our bad, if we trust in God wholeheartedly, we know that it's all ultimately for our good, irrespective of how it looks to us. In 4147, it reads, What will God gain from punishing you if you became appreciative and believed? God is appreciative, omniscient. Meaning that God is doing this for our own good. If we have to suffer adversity, hardship, or a blessing, all this is to get us back in line on God's path. Sometimes you have to, in essence, be shooken up in order to realize what you have in front of you. I think about the fact, you know, having kids, you realize that when you give them something, a gift, a toy, something of that nature, immediately they complain about it. They cry about it. Why did my sister get that? Why do I have this? And you make you think, maybe it's better if I didn't give that to them. And God is doing the same thing with us. He gives us something to see how we react. But if we react by being unappreciative, maybe it's better to take that item away from us. Take that blessing back. And then hopefully we gain a true appreciation for what we had. Every day we have a choice what we want to focus on. You know, we can focus on the good, things to be appreciative for, things to be happy for. Or we can focus strictly on the bad about how bad things are and how I've been uh, dealing with injustice and this and that. And it's not to turn a blind eye to atrocities that occur, to hardships that occur, but it's an ultimate understanding that, look, God is in control. You know, one of the requirements of a submitter is that they believe in the day of judgment. These people who are so fixated on dealing out justice in this world, it's showing that they have lack of confidence in God and in the hereafter. Because in this world, there is going to be injustice. But the ultimate justice is in God's hand. If someone does something terrible, horrendous, they'll pay for it, either in this world or in the hereafter. But that should give us peace of mind that we don't have to go out of our way 
in order to be crusaders for every single ailment. You know, most of the stuff, it's not because we're truly been injustice. It's because we've been so focused on finding everything that's wrong that we miss the bigger picture. There's the uh, famous uh, Harvard experiment. They say, you know, count how many uh, passes the uh, players in white make with a basketball. And as you're watching and you're counting, what happens is that there's an individual in a gorilla costume who moonwalks across the uh, uh, video, yet most people don't see the gorilla. Why? It's because they're fixated on counting the number of passes of that basketball. They're fixated on that task. When we fine-tune our brain to only find things to be upset and complain about, that's all we're going to see in life. We're going to completely miss the moonwalking gorilla right in our midst. And in this case, this is the reason for everything to be appreciative for. You know, today we have not only a society that has a surplus of um, calories that's leading to obesity, we also have a society that has a surplus of just such easy lives that they never have to face real hardship. You think again about that farmer 200 years ago who most likely lost a loved one due to some simple ailment of some sort, you know, who each day had to question if they're going to have enough food to eat. That today we have a society that the slightest shakeup, the slightest hardship, someone looks at them the wrong way or says something in a way that could be misconstrued, that they, they lose sleep over this. That sadly they get into depression, they need medication, all this because their, their brain is over amplifying what is around them that in, in uh, the grander scheme of things is absolutely trivial. In a podcast recently on Invisibilia, they were studying this epidemic that's been taking place, predominantly targeting uh, teenage girls, where their pain receptors are overly amplified to the point that putting on a shirt or taking a shower or even walking was excruciatingly painful. And doctors didn't understand what was going on. They thought this was just a mental condition. They thought they were overanalyzing it. Then this, you know, because these people could converge on the internet, they started identifying one another and they started communicating and realizing that this was a serious thing. So the question was, what was going on? And there's a doctor who is studying this condition. And what he came to realize was that these individuals' pain receptors, because their thresholds were thrown off, they could not differentiate between real pain and perceived pain to the point that they would put on a t-shirt or, you know, again, take a shower or put on shoes, that the excruciating pain was their brains amplifying those sensations of touch into agonizing pain. And the solution to this, the remedy, was to persevere through the hardship, was to put these girls through intense training where they just had to fight it through with the pain, that eventually their pain receptors would recalibrate. And it's the same thing for us. We complain about so much, about you know how things aren't working out, these total first world problems, neglecting the fact of how much more of a blessing we have than any other generation in the world. You think of this, any kind of item or food or product you want, you can instantly order and have delivered to your own house. You know, anyone from the richest person to the poorest person relatively has access to uh, endless amounts of entertainment, be it on YouTube, be it on uh, Netflix. You know, there's homeless people with smartphones, and this is like ubiquitous. These things that we complain about, that we think that makes life so challenging, we take for granted of just how good we have it. 
The fact that you can walk into a grocery store and the problem is not a lack of calories. It's the fact that there's too much selection, that there's too many calories to consume from, that we need to artificially constrain ourselves in order to build this mental resilience. You know, an example of this is typically in your day to day, there's a lot of noise. You're driving, the, the car makes noise, the, uh, the road makes noise, the people outside are making noise. But if you ever spend time in a completely isolated, silent room, and all you can do is hear your own breathing and your heart, eventually your heart starts sounding so loud that it seems like it's just filling the entire room. But then the second you go back into a normally sounded room with other noises, you can't even hear your heart anymore. And right now we just have life, praise God, so good and so easy that God has given us so much for free that we're over amplifying some of these downsides. And before we suffered a retribution that God warns us about being unappreciative, it takes effort that we have to reflect and be conscientious of just how good we have it. So how do you build up mental resilience? You know, we know that in order to build up muscles and uh, a healthy lifestyle, you need exercise. But what about the mental aspect? God tells us in Surah 94 verse 5 and 6, it reads, with pain there is gain. Indeed, with pain there is gain. Just like these kids, these uh, young girls who had to go through intense training in order to overcome their amplification of these senses. Similarly, we have to artificially create scenarios where it builds mental resilience. You know, one of the ones that God decrees for us is every month during the month of Ramadan, we fast for a month to refrain from food or water for an entire month to recalibrate our system. So then when we do take a bite of food, not only do we not overconsume because our stomachs have shrunk down back to their normal state, but we're appreciative for every single morsel and bite and drop of water we get. Another one is say, for instance, God tells us to meditate. We looked at the study the other week about people, they preferred to shock themselves with electricity rather than being able to sit quietly for 15 minutes with their, uh, their own thoughts. But we need to be able to realize that, look, for our own mental stability, this overstimulation that we have is not good for our health. To be able to sit in silence with nothing more than our thoughts, to be able to focus 100% on God, this is a way to build mental resilience. You know, five times a day we do our salat, and each time of these, it's for us to see, can we focus on God during those two minutes? Or are we thinking about other stuff? Are we thinking about some TV show or some task you have to do or some activity or something you have to get done on a project or assignment? Because if we can't think about God during those two minutes, it means we need to recalibrate. You know, by creating these artificial deprivation of stimulation, of calories, of uh, entertainment, it allows us to recalibrate. You know, maybe you need to go on a trip. You need to go to somewhere that's a developing country to walk away from your cell phone, walk away from these luxuries, go camping, something to make you appreciative for your bed, to make you appreciative for central heating, central cooling, you know, your stove, your microwave, these things that you have. Because when we're unappreciative, then nothing in life becomes enjoyable. Everything we have is just more reasons for us to complain. Another thing is do something hard. Find something challenging to do physically, mentally, and see if you can do it. 
There's the uh, famous JFK quote. It says, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Sometimes it's good to do hard things, things that you know it's going to take time to gain mastery. You're going to fail repeatedly, but this is what it takes in order to build mental resilience. In the documentary, Euro Dreams of Sushi, you're meeting an 85-year-old man who spent 60 years of his life, 60 plus years, making sushi, perfecting this art pushing himself. You know, we need to be able to do things that are hard strictly for the sake of them being hard. What are we doing to perfect our salat? What are we doing to become better at meditating, to become better submitters? These things, they pay us back dividends. You know, they make us not only perform better in the future, they give us a much richer, happier life. There's a quote, I see it attributed to both Bruce Lee and Zig Ziglar, I don't know who actually came up with it, but it says, do not pray for an easy life, pray for the strength to endure a difficult life. You know, so often we pray to just eliminate the hardships, to eliminate anything that bothers us, rather than praying for us to grow the mental resilience for us to persevere through or not to allow those things to bother us in the first place. This last week on uh, the podcast Radio Lab. I was talking about Alexander uh, Gamma, and he was a person who spent three months. He walked across Antarctica to the South Pole and back with nothing more than what he could carry. And in preparation for this uh, track, he would bury uh, provisions every 200 kilometers so he can keep his light, uh, his load light. And after 86 days of walking, he's onto his last cache. He's been walking for about 10 hours a day. He lost 55 pounds and he goes and he digs up this cache and you see the enjoyment he felt from finding a chocolate bar, some cheese doodles, some Mentos. And you think we should be this appreciative every day for all the infinite blessings that God has given us. The fact that we can see, that we can taste, that we can hear, that we can hear the songs of what uh, we love. We can hear the voices of the people we love. These are things that should make us break down every day and just be absolutely appreciative for these blessings that God has given us. God willing, I'm going to clip to that audio right now. So this is uh, him in Antarctica as he finds his last stash. As always, if you guys want to contact us, you can reach us at crontalk at gmail.com. And until next time, peace and God bless. So let me just set the scene for you. Okay. What you see in the video is this guy, Alex, kind of moving along. This He's on skis. This snowy snowscape. Mm. He's filming himself. He's got the camera in his right hand. Where is he exactly? Antarctica. Oh. He's on a three-month trek to the South Pole and back by himself. And what he'd been doing is every couple of days on his trip, you know, every 200 kilometers or so, he would bury stuff in the snow. Some some fuel and uh, and sometimes a little bit of gear that I didn't use. Was that just to lighten your load? Yeah. You know, because every ounce of unneeded weight has to go. Sure. So in this video, it's day 86. Almost three months since I left. That's three months of walking 10 hours a day. And I lost almost 25 kilos. 55 pounds. He's exhausted. He's come upon his last cache. So on the last cache where this uh, video is captured, what you see is Alex kneel in the snow, start to dig. I'm telling that I'm quite hungry. 
Whatever's in this last cache in the snow, it's been three months since he buried it. So I didn't really recall what was there. He hopes it's something good. So he digs up this bag of stuff, starts rifling through it. Some Vaseline, some zinc ointment. It's just a mess. Nothing. It's it's pretty much all trash. But then. Yeah! 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 <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what is it? He holds up. <laughs> a double pack of cheese doodles. <laughs> <laughs> then he throws it up in the air. <laughs> and then this is this is my favorite part. He just freezes. And he's staring off into the distance, almost like, did that happen? Is it real? So he starts to dig some more, and then... What's it this time? Huge chocolate bar. It's milk chocolate. And then it's just like... He finds some Mentos. Mentos? I find more and more and more. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever been that happy in your life? Well, I've been thinking about that. How, when did you shout last time you were so happy? I think that's why we've been watching this video over and over again. Because none of us can remember. <laughs> it's like what stands between you and that feeling is a really interesting question. Yeah, it's uh, three months with hunger. Actually, I think the reason I like this video so much is not just because he's happy. It's that he somehow stumbled into this moment of perfection. It's just like a perfect situation (laughs) by being so tired and so hungry and finding such a stash of candy that he had forgotten that he left (laughs) he created a moment of just absolute complete bliss 